0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One.
1: Napa know-how. Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa. Because right now, when you order from Napa Online, you can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes. Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know How. Napa Know How at participating stores. Standard ground shipping and exclusions apply.
0: Welcome to Giant Size Heroes number 25. That's right. Airhorns. Airhorns. It is the big anniversary issue. We're not sure what it's the anniversary of. Oh, we have airhorns. Whoa. That's a thing we can do? Hell yeah. Thank you. 2007 hip hop is alive in the booth, and I am (laughs) not mad at it. Oh, that is the Sean Paul experience. Yes. Uh, it is episode 25, which is very exciting if you're a comic fan. So many issues revolve around this sweet, sweet number that doesn't actually signify much. But just like comic books... Celebrating random
3: milestones is the heart of comics, Coy. That's,
0: that's what I was thinking. Like Just like random comic books, this is a randomly special episode of Giant Size Heroes beginning, of course... <laughs> With a trailer from a not big two company. That's right. Valiant Comics at long last is getting in the game with Bloodshot. We have heard about this movie for a long time. And it drops next year and we finally got a trailer. It is Vin Diesel, I... I'll admit, since Vin Diesel's in it, I will not accept anything but it being in the Fast and the Furious universe. So that, <laughs> that raises more questions than answers. Uh, but it's cool. It's visually stunning. It's very stylized. Uh, it gives away a twist that I hope is intentionally given away because of how cheesy the twist is. Um, we learn his power set, which visually looks cool. It's uh, it's everything you want in a trailer.
3: I it's uh, I haven't had a chance to watch this one yet, so I was just excited to hear Corey's reactions. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, the Valiant movie universe is coming along, and uh, I'm very curious to see what happens with this. Tweet us if you are a huge Valiant fan. Is it delivering on that? Are you a 90s fan? Are you a 2012 reboot fan? Uh, Give us your perspective, because I would love to know what this means to folks. Uh, Or if it's just a fun action movie, then it's just a fun action movie.
0: I'm a fan of the company Valiant, because they they seem to be treating people well. Uh, Everything I've heard about the company makes me... Like, I'm watching this movie because, one, Vin Diesel, but two, because I want Valiant to do well, so... Let me know what you guys think. Uh, number two on the agenda is... Are you ready for this? Joker is likely to become the highest R-rated grossing movie of all time. Not this year, not this month, ever. With a big E. Um, that is crazy because it costs, like, most movies' catering budgets.
3: What's it uh, knocking off the list there, Coy? It is
0: taking down Deadpool. Now, Aww. the only... I feel like Deadpool would enjoy the number of poop jokes he gets to make at being number two, so I'm not too worried about him.
3: That's fair.
0: Like I feel like if Deadpool's at number two, he'll use that way better than most movies. <laughs> uh, it is currently looking at a $783 million worldwide payload, which means it could easily head to $900 million and possibly even a billion dollars with a B.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> which is just crazy, because when you see the opening weekend of Endgame making a billion dollars, you're like, well, that makes sense. And when you see Avengers and uh, Avatar fighting neck and neck, you're like, well, yeah, those are the most marketable movies ever, and they're made purely for fans to love them and see them many times. When you watch The Joker, you're very, very upset and uncomfortable and not happy.
3: <laughs> and here we
0: are. <laughs> so, uh, you guys know uh, from, from the last couple weeks my thoughts on Joker and Amy's thoughts on Joker, but we do agree, it's not a fun journey. So, this actually surprised me because... As much yeah, as but, I love you the know, film. Yeah,
3: Passion of the Christ is not a fun journey either. And it made a lot of
0: money. That's true. And let the record show, we might be talking about Deadpool, but Amy just compared Joker to Jesus on this episode.
3: I didn't. <laughs> you will note that I did not.
0: Uh, she may have just said Passion of the Christ and Joker in a parallel, so I'm going to say she thinks that Arthur Fleck and Jesus are one and the same. So I sure. am very excited uh, because that means, uh, to be honest, like, as much as I love Joker, I really just want more... Focused character study movies. I really want more character-driven comic movies. I love Logan. I really love Joker. I love when they don't make them just flashy. So I don't want suddenly to have a a, a Spider-Man R-rated that's a gritty noir take. But I do want movies that are maybe more ponderous and maybe more. The, you know, independent feeling and maybe more of a film versus a movie. I would love that. So I hope that this gets us there. What do you think?
3: Uh, I want the same thing, although I think we're already on our way there. Yes. Yeah, Black Panther.
0: Yeah. And Logan, like we, we we have examples before this, Yeah. but if one of them makes the most movie money of any Rated movie ever, <laughs> I think it's you can point to that easier.
3: <laughs> and it's it's a very interesting experiment in terms of international distribution. It's tough to say what it means for anything else, because, of course, much while there was much about this movie that made it risky it is still attached to Batman uh, who is kind of in a special category I've
0: enjoyed everyone being like the biggest risk out of WB is to make a movie based on the biggest villain in comic books I'm like bro
3: there's an element of truth on both sides. Like, it is an unconventional movie to make in this uh, area of things, but it is also, in some ways, a very obvious movie to make. So, you know... I definitely
0: see both sides. I just just think clickbait is getting a lot. Like, clickbait is very much going, like, riskiest move. I'm like,
3: "Mm, is it, though? Don't fight headline writers. They have tough jobs. (laughs) I don't know.
0: Every headline... Like, oh, 80% of the headlines I've read about Joker, it's me doing Chris Hemsworth and Ragnarok.
3: Really? (laughs) Is
0: it, though? Uh, But here we are. It very much uh, may cross a billion dollars, and I'm personally very excited to see how well it's doing. Uh, and I'm also very curious what that means for the future Slate of DC. Uh, I would love to see more Black Label films. I've talked about a Lex Luthor film. I've talked about a Mr. Freeze film. Um, I have no problem with uh, slightly off-kilter origin stories. And I'm learning I'm learning more and more that 2015's Koi that said, I never want a Joker movie without Batman or a Venom movie without Spider-Man was wrong. Because I've enjoyed <laughs> the, hell out, the hell out of both of them. So... I'm just a sucker for content, guys. I like stuff. Uh, Speaking of liking stuff, Naomi Harris is Shriek. That's stuff I like. Sure do like that stuff.
3: I If you missed last week's Giant Size, you missed the best pitch for Shriek of all time. you got to go back and listen to it because Koi sold the hell out of it. <laughs> uh, so I'm on board.
0: I feel like that was one of the examples of like what it's like inside my brain where I'm like, does anyone read comics like I do? Because a lot of times I have these long, drawn-out conversations and like even the writers sometimes are like – Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, I way overanalyzed that choice. Nah. I think it's a beautiful— We just have different
3: pockets. I'm not reading those comics like that. (laughs) I'm reading other comics like that, which is why it's so instantly recognizable.
0: I think it's true. And I think that's why The Great Saga— is the beautiful linchpin (laughs) that we can all share because it is both blockbuster and indie. It is both a tale that is the most human starring zero humans. Yeah, let's go on
3: the record being like never adapt it so that in a few years we can be like 2019 Amy and Corey. We're wrong. We love Saga.
0: Never adapt Saga. Jake Gyllenhaal's Marco? Uh, Yeah, I I am Marcus. Marco? Marco. Marco. Okay. For a second there I was like, am I wrong about the lead of a book I love and talk about every day? Uh, Y'all
3: brains are like that.
0: Everyone's sending. Uh, did you see that meme someone made of me and Christian with with Saga? No. So like my Saga love, I didn't realize extended beyond giant size. But there was a Schmodown announcement where I'm coming back to manage in the Schmodown, and there was a caption contest, and someone made a meme out of me talking to Christian. That is beautiful. So I literally I found oh, this on Facebook. Oh
3: that's beautiful. The caption, read the caption for me. So it's a
0: picture of me across from Christian on my hands up describing and it says anyone. Should I read Saga? Koi, three hours later, and it's been me stress-talking about Saga because I love it so much, yeah. uh, and it's perfect. Uh, also, I completely had slipped my mind that Brian K. Vaughn was a writer on Lost. Oh, really? I totally didn't. I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> so I was talking. I was. I, we had Damon Lindelof on the most recent episode of Comic Book Shopping, and there's a running joke amongst the entire crew of Comic Book Shopping that I'm hiding copies of Saga so I can use them in the show without telling the production team. Sure, Because I want everyone to read it, but it's a running joke. Like, the Kevin Smith episode, I put it behind me, and I literally turned and grabbed it mid-conversation. So uh, that was the running joke of the episode. And then we were talking about Brian Kavani. He's like, yeah, when Brian was working on season three of Lost, I was like...
3: Your mind just (laughs) fell out your ears. I
0: literally was like, wait, you probably know more about Saga than I do. And I was instantly (laughs) like, can we cut the cameras and just have me and Damon talk about (laughs) Saga?
3: Heck, yes. So
0: uh, I'm going to try to get Damon on one of the shows so we can talk about Saga. Amazing. Not even kidding. Amazing. Like he he thinks he's going to come in to promote Watchmen. No, no, we're going to talk about Saga. But back to Naomi Harris. Uh, I am a big Naomi Harris fan because she killed it in what was it? What did I just see her in? Oh no! Uh, oh, I I just rewatched uh, Skyfall. She brings so much beautiful, intelligent captivating energy to like silly lines. Like she's one of those actresses that can say like Fast and the Furious lines and you're like oh. yeah. And that means we might get a good shriek
3: well, honestly, that was part of the fun of uh, the first movie, is that mm-hmm. the villain is one of those actors uh, who can literally read the phone book and be mesmerizing. And he has some some real all-time monster movie villain speeches, uh, and he delivers the hell out of them. So we need more of that.
0: You need that in this kind of movie. Yep. And Naomi Harris is perfect for that, and I do hope they play with some of the uh, allegories we talked in the last episode of Giant Size, number 24. <laughs> Now, we also had an announcement this week, very important to my heart, and something I have argued many times on the internet, and now someone with much more at stake has agreed with me, and I am very excited to be validated here. Speaking with Entertainment Weekly, the writers of Deadpool are promoting Zombieland Double Tap. Fun fact, they wrote Zombieland before Deadpool, and have since gone out (laughs) to say, hey, the reason this got delayed is because of that merc with the mouth, and that's why it took 10 years to make Deadpool 2. But I think it's worth it.
3: To make
0: Zombieland 2. land 2. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so they said, quote, we are always in touch with Ryan. We've got several projects with him in addition to the Deadpool universe. I think the party line and truth is we're all still figuring it out. Marvel has promised to continue to let us play in the R-rated Deadpool universe. And that the hope is they will also let us veer into the MCU a little bit as well as play in the sandbox. Our feeling and Ryan's feeling is that it's got to be the right idea. It's got to be great. I think once we collectively agree what idea that great idea is, we'll be off to the races. Ryan's super busy. We've got a lot of projects lined up. But we wake up thinking about Deadpool and we go to sleep thinking about Deadpool. Oh, you guys
3: might be related. I feel like this (laughs) whole
0: paragraph... Is a lot like what I do. Uh, so, one, thank you, Paul Wernick. I do wake <laughs> and sleep with the Merc with the mouth on the brain. Uh, two, please take your time and make it good. Like, do not introduce him into the MCU haphazardly. You won't and you didn't. And three... Thank you for publicly saying that Marvel's willing to let you do R-rated because now, even if you do make a PG-13 movie, at least people know and they won't yell at Marvel because I hate when people yell at studios because it seems like weird. You guys realize studios aren't one person. It's very strange when you do it. They're
3: big and complicated.
1: It's a lot of people. Yeah.
0: So uh, this quote made me real happy. Uh, it's nothing we haven't heard before, but it's, it feels good to have it in black and white. Mm. Whew, talking. Jake Johnson. He is down to come back as Peter B. Parker for more Spider-Verse goodness. Speaking with Collider. I know those guys.
3: First time. Comic book TV!
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, uh, if you guys haven't watched Town, it is a lot of fun. It is a procedural with a comic book bent and it stars Kobe Smulders, who is just an angel person. Kobe is one of the sweetest people in town and she deserves all of the work because she's great. Uh, He basically said, yeah, I'd love to come back with Peter B. Parker. I love playing him. He loved the idea of a 40-year-old Spider-Man. He... He just was Jake Johnson in his response. Mm-hmm. And uh, also I feel like that is one of the most surprising takes on Spider-Man we've had because if you told me Jake Johnson, Spider-Man would be like, huh? And then it lands and you're like, oh, anyone can wear the mask. That's the point. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he wants to come back. I have not had a Spider-Verse update in some time, but uh, anytime we can bring up that magic film, we will.
3: Absolutely. Any excuse to talk about Spider-Verse.
0: Now this next one uh, I found really interesting because <sighs> were you Team Gambit or Team No Gambit?
3: Mm. I wish team take your time and get it right.
0: Okay, and that's what they did, according <laughs> to this quote. And then it didn't happen because they couldn't get it right. Uh, the reason Doug Lyman dropped out of Gambit was, quote, getting a great script is hard. <laughs> Uh, especially for an action script because, and especially for the movies I want to make, I want to be completely original and yet still be commercially satisfying, and usually the commercially satisfying ideas are the things that people have seen before. Like if somebody already discovered that, and that's why it shows up in movie after movie. So basically he didn't want to make another gambit. He didn't want to make another take on either Justice League Dark or Gambit that felt trite. So I'm personally in team, I'm glad these don't exist, to sully the comic book movie market. Um, but Doug Lyman was... He could have been great. That would have been amazing. I love his work.
3: Uh, yeah, I am I am interested. I would love to eventually get a lot of behind the scenes on, like, how these things go down. But it, it is it, – it's essentially the the oldest story in the world of being, like, looking for the right idea, looking for the right balance and didn't find it, moving on to something else. Uh, I, I'm certainly in the camp that I think – Like, Channing Tatum, while a weird pick for Gambit, I think if he were invested and with the right take, it could be really fun. Yeah. Um, But it sounds like they didn't get to the right take, and that's a shame. But, uh, you know, it's more like we got a new X-Men universe opening up in front of us, uh, and, and Justice League Dark... I don't know what – we heard so many different versions about that what, what that film could have been and so many wonderful, talented people circled it at different times. I'm very curious to see if we ever get that. But again, Justice League Dark involves a bunch of my favorite characters, but my ver- favorite versions of them are rarely the ones where they're all teamed up. Mm-hmm. So I'm OK with them all being different things. I, I love Swamp Thing and Zatanna and Constantine, but they, like, they are their own stories.
0: That was the first thing that popped to my head after The Joker did so well. Was the individual character – not Justice League Dark, the movie, but the characters in Justice League Dark. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, now we can get a Constantine movie. Oh, now we can get a Zatanna movie. Oh, now we can get a Swamp Thing movie. And I feel like those are way more likely now that we've had a very successful $45 million like dark cut of a film because it might not even need to be R-rated necessarily. But the fact that Joker did so well, I feel like – I want to see DC's Black Label movies do what DC Black Label comics are doing. Because Black Label, I was so against after Vertigo because it's just like Vertigo brand loyalty. But there really hasn't been a DC Black Label book I haven't enjoyed, mm. which is saying something. Um, the, the Criminal Sanity stuff, the – The Joker uh, Harley
3: book that just came out, yeah.
0: Yeah, That like Cami Garcia's – Cami Garcia wrote the hell out of the light and fluffy teen book uh, <laughs> that was um, the girl uh, – Teen Titans. Teen Titans. Thank you. Uh, Teen Titans Raven is is so good and her Beast Boy stuff sounds amazing. And then she went and wrote one of my favorite Harley Quinn stories ever, which could not be a more different Elseworld. So I'm just, Cami, you're great. Um, <laughs> but like Black Label, every single book, I'm like, holy crap, how are they this consistent? Uh, the weakest of which, weirdly enough, is um, some of the choices Frank Miller has Superman making in that Superman Year One are real weird. I'm still enjoying it, but it's real weird. Uh, anyway, back to movie news. Uh, Michael, Gian... do you know how to say Michael Giacchino.
1: Name? Michael
0: Giacchino. He is scoring the Batman. I'm he is, so excited. He's the superhero guy now. He's scoring so many amazing things. He's such an incredible composer. I am all about this. Do you Pixar. have any, any idea saying. of tone?
3: Uh, make me cry. He, whatever's going to happen. He's going to do it. Yeah. I, I have noticed, like, I am a sucker for score, specifically. Uh, it, I will, you know... If you sort of, like, you can learn about yourself as a moviegoer by looking at the different categories at the Oscar and sort of seeing which category you disproportionately preferred the films from. If your favorite films are all the ones that won screenplay, that says something about you. And that's a lot of us. If your favorite films are the ones that won acting awards, that says something about you. I have noticed that uh, even films people have mixed feelings on, if they end up nominated in that score category, I thought they were great. That's because fascinating Because music works game. on me real well. Uh and, you know it's not a like a science no, no, but that's a great
0: but, I've never thought of the Oscars that way and that's such a great like litmus test it's not like black and white but it's like that's that's a cool shades of grey yeah
3: obviously uh, that's a different movie Uh what, of them. It's, it's more complicated than just that but like if you notice that you have a category where the films in that category were also your favorites of the year yeah. um, it says something about you and the things that work on you in movies and I, I uh, always Michael Giustino the,
0: the acting uh, the acting category is my jam and that's really interesting because I like, I like I like talking to people, and I like the human element of most movies, and I would not have thought – but what you just said makes so much sense.
3: Yeah, because – and, you know, the truth is that you can make wonderful experiences in all those categories. There's a reason we award all of them. Right. Um, But there are some folks who like – if it's a great performance in a bad script or a great script with mediocre performances, there are going to be people who prefer each of those categories in general, even if you agree they're kind of equally good movies. Yeah. One is just going to be more to your taste than the other.
0: That is fascinating.
3: Also, if I'm saying his name wrong, please tweet me gently. Uh, but I think it's Michael Giacchino.
0: Uh, he is uh, in, in I've never met him, but he's friends with a lot of my friends, what? which is always really like. I, a few of my friends are like with blah blah blah, and I've seen like the inside of his house, and it's always weird to be like well, that's a strange moment to know that man that's brilliant is.
3: I I am very very distantly, but I know someone who knows Bear McCreary, and it was very much the same thing. Who is of course the soundtrack composer for Battlestar Galactica and a lot of other wonderful stuff, and it's just like what those are humans that people know. What I've I don't seen understand. him
0: composing, so I've I've seen Michael him, or Bear Michael. Oh so my gosh, seeing him and like when he was, was, like. Spike Spider-Man, I think, was the one I saw him like in his studio practicing stuff, like on one of my friend's Instagram stories. And I was like, "Oh no!" Like the curtain moved, and I was like, "There's so much magic back there." Like it was like the Wizard of Oz moment. where I was like, "Don't move the curtain! I can't know." Uh, so now, whenever I see his name, I'm like, "He's a
3: real one." <laughs> That's a person. He is uh, his Oscar speech where he stood up uh, and said, "It's not a waste of time." Will still reduce me to tears. Yeah. Like at, at a moment's notice.
0: I, I'm still stuck in your Oscar thing because I'm now putting together I'm having like I the average actor or actress I meet, I can talk to very easily. Mm. The average uh director, composer, or comic book creative I meet, I am I am a puddle. <laughs> uh, and I think it's because it's all the stuff that I feel like I can't do. It's mm. like the intimidation of like, how do you make sounds good? Because yeah. I can't I can't even read music. Um, I, I, fun fact about Koi, uh, it's not a Koi crime, but it's parallel. Uh, I joined, I took French instead of Spanish because they were going to Quebec. Um, and (laughs) so I took five years of French, even though my last name is Jondreau, it was because of Quebec. Um, and then the year we were supposed to go, my school ran out of money and they canceled the trip. So then I was crushed (gasps) because I spent five years of my life and then funded, I was like, what is this language that hasn't helped me once? It's a beautiful language. I didn't care. So. Then I joined. Yeah,
3: but if you end up on one of these Canadian shows, you'll be okay. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> so then,
0: when I didn't go to Quebec, I left the class and joined the band. I couldn't. I couldn't read music. I
3: just spit my coffee. So. <laughs>
0: But I couldn't read music. And this was my junior or senior year. I don't what remember. What did you do with was, band? I couldn't read music. But they were like, well, we have to let him in. Because I was like, what up? I'm in band now. Uh, and so they let me in. I played the cowbell and the triangle. Because literally, they would just Bless you. they would just point at me. Because I didn't even. I they couldn't, didn't try to teach you. I couldn't you? keep rhythm. They Oh, they tried. Oh, they tried. But I couldn't keep rhythms. So there would just be stuff happening. And they would be like, point. And I'd be like, thunk. Oh so the reason I joined the band was because they went to Six Flags. And I couldn't afford Six Flags. Six Flags <laughs> was like $60. So I played the fucking cowbell all year to go to Six Flags. And then the day I went to Six Flags, it hailed while I was on the big roller coaster. So I got a busted lip and a black eye. So, like, fate conspired against me for years. And now whenever I look at the composer, I'm like, what do those symbols mean and why are you so good? And I think of the literal pain of joining the band. So, uh... That is the six-year saga of Koi trying to go on trips because he couldn't afford them and then getting physically hurt. <laughs> Koi can't read music. Uh, and this is, this is what happens. So I don't speak to composers well because they are magic people. <laughs> and art is beyond me, so artists. is...
3: Because it's that time this guy got watched you for...
0: For faking it in band for year. Like, Zeus came down and was like, bro, we saw what you did. Hail.
3: Koi karma. Is Koi karma.
0: <laughs> I got, got you guys.
3: Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> I got
0: pummeled by hail.
3: I was in a thousand choirs, but I, I wasn't in a band after uh, elementary school because they made you pick. Um, and yeah. There was not room to do both. Uh, so I had to to give up the band days because I was a choir dork. Uh, Yeah. But we did go on trips, so I get it. (laughs) It it was,
0: it was, I just wanted to go on trips, you guys. I just wanted to go somewhere. So, yeah, can't talk to artists because they can't draw, can't talk to composers because they can't read music, gets assaulted by nature. Speaking of madness, (laughs) Doctor Strange and the Madness of the Multiverse begins shooting next year, which is very exciting. It
3: does, and we have a new writer.
0: Benedict Wong was talking, oh yeah, who's the writer?
3: Uh, Jade, Jade uh, Benton? What was it? Oh, shoot. I should have written it down. Um, Is it in this article? Uh... Keep talking while I fact check. So
0: uh, Benedict Wong was promoting Gemini Man and was saying uh, they think they are shooting it next year, uh, which is very exciting because Benedict Wong, if you haven't met him, is the most charming man He's in the game.
3: delightful. This is, again, a throwback to other Giant Size or, or other Heroes content. Uh, but if you all did not see when Benedict came to visit us, it was uh, incredible. He
0: parallels most things to food and sandwiches, which is impossibly endearing. Like, he made so many beautiful metaphors about sandwiches that I, I was very impressed, frankly. Uh, so we found a new writer, or they found a new writer for Mans of the Multiverse, and I remember it being somewhat exciting, and Amy is currently hunting.
3: It is Jade Bartlett! Mm. Uh, Jade Howie Bartlett, uh, who... Da, 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 da. <laughs> this was... Okay, well, okay. This is according to us here at Collider. Oh, hey. Apparently Marvel has not confirmed... But uh, supposedly Jade Bartlett is working on a thing. Burst onto the screen with the script for Miller's Girl, which got made the blacklist in 2016. I am reading from our article here. Uh, And, oh, she's going to be making Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. Oh, excellent. That's a Lord Byron quote. Um, It's a thriller. It sounds fantastic. Uh, And she did a draft on an upcoming Mackenzie Davis horror movie. So if you are uh, tuning into Terminator and just waking up to how awesome Mackenzie Davis is, you will be excited for that as well. So an up-and-comer, essentially.
0: And I will point this out every time because it's something I used to preach in my Marvel movie news days. It is a woman writing a superhero show that isn't just a women show, and I, it makes me so much happier than just saying like, "Hey, look, a girl's writing Batwoman because she's a lady." No, a writer's writing a writing thing because Both they can important write.
3: Important for different reasons. I'm just—it
0: makes me happy. Look, <laughs> a writer is getting writing work, and it doesn't matter what kind of person they are. Uh, now, speaking of very intense people, David Ayer. He shared an alternate take on Jared Leto's Joker, and I actually kind of like it better than the uh, the take they went with. And that usually isn't the case. It's kind of cool. He's got a ha 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 over his eyes, like his eyebrows are ha ha ha's. And uh, if you're gonna tattoo someone's forehead, I hope it at least makes sense. So instead of damaged, it's ha ha ha. It's still the you know, it's a very similar take. It's still you know the the face tattooed thug version. Um, still probably wouldn't have been my favorite take, but it's a it's a different take.
3: I gotta be honest, it doesn't read that differently to me.
0: Yeah, it's, I. I it's,
3: the same vibe.
0: It's a very similar uh, <laughs> vibe. I just think damaged bothered me more than anything. You
3: don't know that they weren't also putting that on the top. Oh, that's true.
0: It, actually, in fairness, his it crops his out as forehead. This yeah. could say damaged, ha ha ha, and then I'd be really sad.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, well, at least, like, I don't know. I was going to say at least uh, eyebrows tattoos are more common, but like forehead tattoos or like face tattoos are so common now. Can you imagine being like an actual gangster? In, like, the 80s and 90s and getting a face tattoo because you're actually hard and then you grow up and, like, now all these people have face tattoos that are, like, SoundCloud rappers.
3: I feel like that is probably an experience for a lot of folks in a lot of areas.
0: I'd be so mad if I was in prison for some real shit and then, like, someone got a face tattoo that was just, like, a Bieber. Like, I'd be so upset. (laughs) I just, I don't know. That's
3: a different kind of karma, I think. I'm just, yeah,
0: I'm just saying, like, I think I would commit some coy crimes. If I was already in jail, I'd commit hella coy crimes if you were, like, a punk ass and got a face tat. I don't know. You'd be like,
3: what caused that riot? someone's mad about Instagram? (laughs) I don't know. Some SoundCloud
0: rapper came in with a face tattoo, and the guy in cell block B actually whooped his ass. I just, it vexes me. Uh, But (laughs) it is neither here nor there, because it seems that Jared Leto's Joker will not be a part of movies going forward. Uh, I don't know if I included this in the rundown, did not? Did you hear that? Uh, Joker, the 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 Joker, the one that's making all the money. Jared Leto tried to shut it down.
3: What's the story there?
0: So, according to, I really thought I put this in the rundown. It's later on. Oh, it isn't. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna tangent now. Uh, according to the Hollywood Reporter, which is a very credible source, multiple people at multiple agencies that worked for Jared Leto tried. Well, they didn't try. He reached out to them to try to shut down the Joker film. Uh, last week, there were some quotes about him feeling alienated and confused that there was a Joker movie going forward without them. But now we're hearing he actually reached out to try to to set it down. Um, he went through his agent at CAA as well as his music managers um, to try to not have the movie get made. Uh, and he has since, maybe unrelated, left CAA for WME. Um... Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting. You don't hear a lot about this because it's usually, like, behind closed doors. But it's really it, – it, to be honest, this made me feel bad for Jared Leto that this got out because it just does not paint him in a good light.
3: Well, here's the – OK. So I'm, I'm kind of getting this from your recap because I don't know the full story on this one. Uh, it's – I also feel bad that this is public because it seems like the kind of thing that should be behind closed doors. Um, and depending – on some level, I totally get, like, if you are hired for a job and they are telling you that maybe you get to do more of that job and you are like, oh, a different person is getting to do that job. I would like to do that job. There is some level of basic understandable human, like, can we do mine instead? That is an element that I would understand. I would like to play to do this job. Uh, like, that's, that's like showing up to an audition. I hope mm-hmm. you pick me over that other person. Now, if this was like a attempting to sabotage it in motion, a uh, some kind of other, like, it's not a classy move.
0: It's it's just, it's really messy, and now that it's public, it's even messier, uh, because CAA and WME are obviously, like, two of the biggest agencies in the world, and uh, to have such an A-list star reach out and be like, don't make that thing, and now to have it come out, it's just, it got messy, and I don't like to see that to any property, I don't like to see any sort of backhanded dealings, uh, but that is the movie's. So, yeah, uh if you've been hearing those rumors, keep in mind they are rumors. Uh there's no quoted source that is being uh on the record. It's a lot of conjecture. Um but man, that's messy.
3: Yeah. It's uh Yeah, it's a shame.
0: It's not great. Speaking of great, Jason Momoa, he's great. We like him. <laughs> Jason Momoa has Aquaman 2 plans. Uh, while promoting his new Apple TV show, which I have not seen yet, but I know a few people that have uh, seen some footage and they were blown away by it. I'm very curious. Uh, Apple TV, five bucks a month. I don't know what's going on. Cats and dogs living together. Uh, Jason Momoa has plans that he pitched to Warner Brothers and they are all about. Now, I've never heard before any script is written how early an actor being like, yo, I got your movie. Uh, But if that is how they want to play it, clearly he was... The reason I put this in the rundown is Jason Momoa reshaped Aquaman for the movies. So his take on Aquaman is not Aquaman. So if anyone's going to have any say over what the movie is, it's the man who's like, I'm a boogie on my way through this performance. <laughs> so I'm really... I, I, I liked Aquaman because I didn't know what was going to happen, and then they took me to Burning Man and had a squid play the drums, so I was like, let's dance. So if Jason Momoa wants to write a fever dream like that again, yes. Um, and I really I liked the take because I didn't know what was going to happen ever. Uh, what do you think about having this much control?
3: I am curious what it... What it it... really comes down to in terms of like they – we know that they're sort of making the new one in a hurry, uh, at least according to the date they set out, uh, given how much work needs to go into something like this. But – Momoa having a strong influence over the way this character goes makes sense to me like it's not quite at Orion Reynolds. I made this movie happen single handedly and I want to have a say in how things go kind of principal. He didn't
0: like that footage. what do you mean?
3: <laughs> uh, who knows technically <laughs> uh, but
0: we'd be winking if we had cameras on us. I,
3: well, I, I mean I actually don't know it just seems like a good guess uh but the the uh so Jason Momoa obviously I don't know his qualifications as a screenwriter, but, you know, am I open to people having a say in how their movies go? Absolutely. He's the the main character of the movie. You want to make sure you're doing stuff that makes sense for the character and that he's going to enjoy. And assuming that it all works out nicely, I see no reason this can't work. Uh, I just, you know... I love great scripts, so I hope he's partnered up with a lot of people, or are secretly a genius, or well,
0: both. He has he, teased what it's going to be and how big it's going to be, but he's also like he's worked on, like he wrote *The Road to and and worked on. Uh, I think he directed. Yeah, he directed *Road to Paloma* as well, um, and he's got like his whole production company. Like he, I think he's trying to be more in the game uh, from other sides. Like, like Chris Evans wants to direct, mm. so anytime a creative wants to create, I think it's rad. So yeah. if he if he has the leverage over the character that he seems to. And he wants to make it more personal? Yes. Excited.
3: I'm excited to see it.
0: Switching over to TV. I'm going to let Amy run this one because it's been gnawing at her.
3: Look, if we hadn't lined up uh, DC TV as our focus of this week like months ago, uh, this would have been the thing I insisted on us doing for 25 straight minutes on Heroes. (laughs) Because it is real. It is not a dream, not a hoax, not an imaginary story. Netflix is making Jeff Smith's Bone. Jeff Smith's Bone, of course, is a cornerstone, a honestly industry-changing <sighs> cornerstone of modern comics. Uh, it is was a 90s independent, black-and-white all-ages comic, none of which seemed like marketable things at the time. Uh, it's it was completely its own thing. It went from a cult following to essentially like the. Every week when we talk about Raina Telgemeier, we are talking about a tradition of young readers uh, that Jeff Smith is foundational to in, in a lot of ways. Uh, Bone is funny and scary and exciting. It stars three sort of. Like, it stars basically cartoon characters, but who live in kind of a dark fantasy universe. Uh, and. There have been, it's been one of these like, for so long now, it's been like weird that there isn't a Bone movie or series. Uh, for so long that like we've all fallen for a million, maybe they're doing it this time. Oh, that person was joking around. Oh, maybe this is happening. When I tweeted this link, somebody replied literally saying, I was worried I was going to get Rickrolled when I clicked on this. (laughs) I checked the URL several times to be like, really? For real? This is happening? Not only is it happening, it is happening... uh, So Netflix and Legendary Television are two companies where people are clearly reading comics because they are scooping stuff up. Mm -hmm. uh, And have been for several years. Uh, but Netflix is, has scooped up Bone now, finally, at long last. And apparently Jeff Smith, the creator of Bone, the writer and artist of Bone, is involved. So it's everything I want to know. It's everything I want to hear. There should be stupid, stupid rat creatures. Uh, and I cannot wait. Bring it on.
0: What I just put together? What? In this moment of your pure glee about Bone. <laughs> Disney. Marvel. Obviously. Warner Brothers. DC. Obviously. Every single other network is reading every other kind of comic because comic books are the hottest thing right now and adapting them. But Netflix having the most money is scooping up the big ones like Liefeld and Miller and and, and Bone and doing all these things. And
3: Dark Horse's Umbrella Academy.
0: So I think what's going to happen is we're going to have – Basically the golden age of comics when everyone is competing because the sales were so good but with adaptations because right now that's the gold standard of entertainment. $3 billion endgame, $1 billion joker. I'm rounding up. Don't get mad at me with the Venom thing again. But like these giant things, I think right now we're about to see the next five years where all the indie things we never thought would get adapted will because of the big two. Uh, yeah. I think the big two are going to cause indies to do well. Like, But remember in the 90s Amazon's that The Boys? I just put that together. Like, I, just, I, I, I think I put together the parallels to the comics. Remember when Image, like, Image was founded because the big two were doing so well. They were like, yeah, but we want our own shit. Mm. Now that's happening with TV and film because I don't know how I didn't think of this before. <laughs> This is like a two-year-old epiphany. I'm having an epiphany I should have had in 2017.
3: Wait, well, you've been narrating that uh, change live on air for all this time. I
0: just put it like I just made it a sentence. Yeah, that's amazing. But
3: everyone is diving in, finding the thing that they can try to do and make, and it's the reason Fox was going to have *Lumberjanes* and *Mouse Guard*. Yeah. And they have fallen by the wayside. Uh, Someone else can pick Sony up. Sony tried to get into the *Valiant* game because yeah. they don't own either of the big companies. It's it's it is a land rush for these independent properties, but the good side of it is that we're going to get some legitimately great stuff and some risk taking stuff out of it Uh, and if it can be counted as a risk to do a faithful beautiful adaptation of bone like Netflix has already done Hilda they've Mm -hmm. done they're doing all ages graphic novels for a long time it felt like I don't know I don't know – a lot of the major animation studios, they want to spend their time on originals, and I get that because artists want to make things of their own. And I, I'm i totally on board with that, and I get that, and I think that's one of the reasons that we didn't get, like, Pixar's bone. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and – and I respect that impulse, but I'm really glad that someone has found the right balance of being like, "Well, maybe we can make cool adaptations." You've got a Dark Crystal show. You've got Shira. You've got Bone and Hilda. Like, it's it's. Thank you. I'm so glad that they're throwing money at cool things. It's uh, incredible. They made Tuca and Birdie. Please bring that back. I know you're not going to, but I'm just going to slide it in there. Uh, thank you for reading comics. Thank you for caring about these stories. Do as good a job as you've done with Umbrella Academy, and, <sighs> uh, and uh, we will tune in.
0: The land rush is good for all of us, yeah. and I somehow didn't see it.
3: And they're trying to get us uh, to stay subscribed to Netflix once Disney Plus comes off. And if that means that they're throwing money at Jeff Smith... Cool. That's what I mean.
0: Like it's all – we're all benefiting because competition – I think this is amazing. And I just was like, <laughs> this is the anti-monopoly move. Thank you for competing. Because Netflix had it all three years ago. Now they have to like fight for these things, and that's amazing. Hashtag save Daredevil, though. Uh, <laughs> now we also have news that Brenton Thwaites, when talking to Collider, those people we know, um, basically said he's known about Nightwing for a very long time, and it was a very intentional choice to slowly transition because it was basically his hero's journey. Uh, he was anxious to get to Nightwing, but he knew that it was an opportunity to realize his potential as a superhero, to have that becoming Nightwing be a second series choice, a second season choice instead of a first season choice. It's a uh, it's a decently long interview, and all of it has to do with Nightwing. I highly recommend it. Um, so head over to Collider and check out the Brendan Thwaites interview. He also reveals within it that uh, the, the beep Batman line wasn't actually on the page. It was something that they, Jeff Johns and he came up with on the day. So I'm really... I've talked about that moment more than most moments, so I'm really happy to know that Jeff Johns is like, yo, what if you just say fuck Batman? <laughs> like
3: it just... You just beat it like two seconds ago. <laughs>
0: I couldn't the second time. It was right there. Guys, I whispered it. Guys, can you imagine being on a set? Can you imagine being on a set where it's not on the page and Jeff Johns comes over and is like, yo, what, Try if, it he, this way. what if he says be Batman? <laughs> I want I want that BTS footage so bad. Like, that's such a funny... And then it was the entire talk of Comic-Con 2017.
2: Yeah, it was.
3: That's so good. Uh, standard disclaimer, I get to work for DC Universe, and I have a great time over there, and we talk about Titans a lot. Uh, I'm really enjoying this season, uh, if you are not caught up. We didn't talk about it in our DC TV rundown today, because we did not have time. We did, yeah,
0: we, we went 20 minutes on just Batwoman and Arrow, <laughs> so we barely had time to talk Watchmen.
3: Oh my gosh. Uh, Once again,
0: Watchmen could be a six-hour show breakdown.
3: Honestly, uh, honestly, it's it's too
0: good. And so is Titans. Uh, they're both fucking great. Uh, but I love that. Like, I, so I don't work for DC Daily, so I can say this without a disclaimer. I really like Jeff Johns. I really like his work, and I love how hands on he is, and I love how invested in these characters he is. I really want the Jeff Johns Green Lantern movie that we've been hearing about forever. I want Space Cops by Jeff Johns. But the fact that he's on set with the Titans and he's the one whispering in Brendan tweets here, it's just too good. Uh, Jeff, if you're listening, thank you. Um, you're a sweeter. You follow me on Twitter and it makes me second guess all of my tweets. Um, so thank you. Uh, we also found out that via a, actually a tweet slash Instagram post from Eric, Eric Kripke, who is the showrunner on The Boys, um, that Patton Oswald <gasps> is in season two.
3: Giant nerd Patton Oswald in a good way because he's the best.
0: He's the best of us. He predicted all of the Kevin Feige moves. <laughs> he called this through Parks and Rec years ago. He did. Uh, now, I have a theory and I have no uh, – this is a theory. I, I don't honestly know anything, but I think he's the legend.
3: Interesting. Do you
0: remember the legend from the boys' comic?
3: Because I haven't read that much of the comics still.
0: Okay. The legend is a character that basically – Uses the comics to predict things or to analyze things. He basically is like uh, that's hilarious. He's a, he's a super nerdy. He's basically uh, he's Jack Kirby. He's drawn. <laughs> he's he's got a Jack Kirby sensibility. He talks crap about Eisner in a very funny way. And like man, he, he just got all the credit. Like it's a really funny character, but he's a very like curmudgeonly angry comic book shop owner in the basement yelling out prophecies about that's comics. beautiful. I think Pat Oswalt would be, would be great. Yep. So that's my theory. Uh, just, I don't know, but I hope. Uh, if he's the legend, I will lose my mind, because Patton Oswald is perfect. Um, speaking
3: of legends.
0: Speaking of legends, Dave Gibbons. Yeah. If you haven't seen this video, he sketches Sister Knight, who is the new character played by the great... Regina King on Watchmen, and it is so cool to see art become real life and then go back to being art.
3: It's incredible. Did you watch the video? I did.
0: It's just, there's something emotive. Like, there's something that just happens and you're like, but he drew
3: the Watchmen and now he's yeah. So Dave Gibbons, of course, is the co-creator and artist of Watchmen. Uh, the, you know what Watchmen is, you listen to this show, but it is the seminal 12-part series, the redefined comics as we know them in the 80s, uh, which has been continuously in print ever since. There's a lot of controversy attached to creative ownership and to uh, there's a lot of story to be told there, but Dave Gibbons, who is 50% of that act, is uh, super on board for this newest Watchmen thing, um, is j- just kind of generally a good sport about everything, uh, and hopefully is also being taken care of behind the scenes, Uh, but he drew Sister Knight, and side note, I want merch that says, All Hail the King. Mm, Uh, I need all the Regina King merch. If someone could direct me to whatever links I need to click on, uh, (sighs) a homemade Etsy store of Regina King things, uh, I am so excited about it. Uh, Even if I have, like, oh, there's, y'all, Watchmen is a lot. People make some choices. Uh, I don't know which choices I'm on board with, but I'm not supposed to know because it's Watchmen. Because it's Watchmen. Uh, Nuance. And whether people are using their power correctly is super part of that story. Uh, but anyway, I'm very excited about all of it. Uh, very, very interested to see where it goes. And seeing Dave Gibbons bring Sister Night, like, I wanted to say to life because to me comics are real.
0: <laughs> I, to life.
3: And uh, it's usually we say that the other way. It's amazing to see an actor bring a character to life, like, from the page. But in this case, it's, she's real now, that she looks like Dave Gibbons in the Watchmen world.
0: Do watch the video. It's just a Dave Gibbons sketch, even if it wasn't this. But then the fact that it is this is just – it puts it another level. Uh, I, I briefly, while we're on Watchmen – I reread Watchmen very often. Uh, I read it for the first time when I was 12. It didn't make sense. Uh, I was reading, like, cape books, and I read this book. I'm like, that guy's got his dick out. Like, I literally didn't understand why it was important because I was 12. Like, the comic couldn't make sense. So I was a guy that, like, thought the comedian was cool because I was 12. And then I read it again at, like, 15, and I was like, yo, comedians – That's all. Like, I started. It started to make sense. And then I read it again at, like, probably 19, like, you know, systematically. And then I started to understand the importance of Watchmen and I started to see, like, the layers in it. I reread it before my comic book shopping with Damon Lindelof, and it's the first time it's made me cry. Uh, And that was a really interesting thing because I. I, Between 19 and 31, I've probably read it, like, six times. Mm -hmm. So, like, as an adult, I've read it six to eight times.
3: Yeah.
0: It, like, viscerally impacted me this way in a way that it might now be in my top three comics of all time and it should have always been because all the reasons were all there but I didn't like him talking about the I actually took a screenshot when he says uh, the quote about the statue that's within the marble that's just waiting to be carved Mm -hmm. and when he's talking about like what love can be and the importance of humanity it just like Dr. Manhattan blew my mind And I've read that so many times. So it was really cool. If you haven't reread Watchmen in the last year, the reason I'm going on this rant, take your time, read it with new eyes because there's no way you're going to remember as much as the book is too dense to remember. I thought I knew Watchmen and then this time it shattered me.
3: It's a different book every time you read it, which is one of the wonderful things about it. Uh, and I, I will say uh, one thing that was wonderful for me revisiting uh, before this was that we, because we've kind of like talked about so many of the phases of this, uh, the long letter that Damon Lindelof reposted. Uh, which was about his mixed feelings about making Watchmen and his experience of it and about his dad and is beautiful and moving. He had posted that a few years ago as they went into uh, production. Mm-hmm. And I read it at the time and we talked about it at the time. Um, but was it was it it's really fascinating to revisit it now because a lot of it is the same. A lot of it makes the same amount of sense. His mixed feelings about approaching Watchmen, about doing it at all uh, – A lot of it is the same, but the part that didn't make sense before that does now that I have seen the first episode of the show Mm -hmm. uh, is the part about his version of what a sequel is and comparing it to Old Testament and New Testament, Um, which – and, you know, I'm not a biblical scholar. But that sort of in a – ah, right, a substantially different work intended to be connected directly to this other thing and – there's nuances of the way the Bible was actually put together that make that like analogy not work at all. But as a broad flavor of like, I get it now. Yeah, I get what he meant by that uh, in a really interesting way. Having seen just the first episode because I'm saving them, uh, we I might have like thank goodness uh, press access might be a thing for this one. It, it does isn't always, but. Uh, I love it too much to rush. Um, So we'll see.
0: I will say, and this is like BTS uh, from comic book shopping, of all – this is my 10th guest. Uh, Of all 10 guests, Damon Lindelof is the most in comic book store active guy. The dude is every – he's like every weeker. And I had no idea. He's just been busy, so I had the opportunity to show him something. Otherwise, he might have just been taking me shopping.
3: I do not know him in any degree well, but uh, back when they were working on Lost, he came by the shop all the time because it's right by Disney, and uh, that's people are nerds, especially Damon Lindelof. He is so rad.
0: Like I just, uh, if you if you don't know any of his work, you do. You just don't realize. But (laughs) also, he's like. So one of us, like giant sized listeners, I always consider since we can't see you and there's no cameras, I'm always like, no one listens to this except that one person that's just like me. He's one of you. (laughs) So I just, uh, he was such a cool guest. I'm very excited to share this episode with you. Uh, I was losing my voice as you guys heard me last week. It didn't get better before Thursday. Um, So he was a champ about me like miming the second half of the show. Uh, And he just like, he was so invested and really rad. And I'm really excited to share it with you because I got to talk about Watchmen with someone that knows it. Up there, up there with Alan Moore. Maybe and not Alan Moore, but i would say crap.
3: honestly, the the truth is that there is no simple answer to this. Like, you know, he should have mixed feelings about making mm-hmm. it. Uh, we should have mixed feelings about watching it. Uh, the behind the scenes situation there is very complex. Uh, but I, you know, still watching the heck out of it. Oh, so so that's, I guess, where I come down. We'll see.
0: <laughs> Decided huh? to enthusiastically enjoy it.
3: I mean. It is it's it is fascinating. It will not stop being fascinating. I would love to see some kind of revol- resolution while all the parties involved are still alive. Uh, I'm not holding my breath on it because it's been a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I will say he makes a very good point in that letter that Dave Gibbons is 50 percent of the package and Dave Gibbons is on board. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this is one of the most <laughs> sacred texts in comics. Uh, but it also deserves to be like, you know. <laughs> treat. If you're gonna do it, take it seriously, uh, and they certainly did that.
0: And it brings awareness to really important things that a lot of people don't know about. The opening scene is something I thought was much more common knowledge until the internet this week. I had no idea the Tulsa massacre was uh, like a hidden part of history because I'm not a, I'm not a historian or a historical like I don't Study texts of that kind, so I never have conversations about it. Mm. So when the entire internet exploded Sunday night and Monday morning about the Tulsa massacre, I was like, okay, I thought this was more like I didn't learn it in history class because apparently I don't teach it, which sucks. I learned it because of the game. Uh, Like it's a hip hop subtext, and uh, it's really important that people know about it. It was less than 100 years ago. Um, There are people alive now that were born around that time. Like it's insane that we have not advanced. as much as we should have. And I think that having things that important in something as mainstream as a Watchmen show will bring awareness to things that should be more advanced and move us along as a species. Um, it, it's it's insane that it's even a conversation. There's but- a
3: lot of great real world history mixed into this uh, in addition to their alternate world history, which we have so many questions about. My notes for Watchmen are like things like – weather question mark horseshoe question the mark? horseshoe the horseshoe what, what does it what? mean what does it mean the horseshoe blew i love me away. thinking what does it mean especially when i feel like there really are answers yes uh, that is a thing that i love uh and this is uh very very exciting and as i said on regular collider heroes random musical theater including the incredible troll choice of watch the first episode of watchman uh you know Mature content warning because it is Watchmen. Henceforth,
0: Um, we'll probably be doing spoilers on the episodes because we won't have time to do a non-spoiler then-spoiler. So assume if you're listening to this on Thursday, we will be spoiling Sunday's episode.
3: Oh, yeah, I feel less bad about that now right. that it's, I remember it's, it's going to be up on Thursday. It's you've legit a, days. a week. I hope you've had a chance. Uh, those were very light spoilers uh, because it's just about mysteries.
0: It's but. real good. So, yeah, expect expect a decent amount of uh, Watchmen spoiler talk in this show. So hopefully enjoying it because it's damn good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of source material that's damn good, we've got our comic pull list this week. Kicking it off, Amazing Mary Jane. Yay. Number one. Now, this book is written by a writer I have just discovered very recently. Her name is Leah Williams. She is writing Gwenpool Strikes Back. Gwenpool Strikes Back is one of my favorite new series. It makes Deadpool look linear. It is so meta. It is so strange. It is amazing in its fourth wall breaking. (laughs) Gwenpool literally talks to Terry Dotson in the book. Uh... The Terry Dotson being one of my favorite artists. Uh, it is a it is an incredible time, and she's a darling. Um, I, I've uh, I've talked to her a little on Instagram via likes and me yelling "You're great" and her acknowledging that. <laughs> so Leah Williams, you're great, and thanks for acknowledging a fan going "Hey, you're great." Uh, we also have, <coughs> Ow. who's who's art on that?
3: <laughs> uh, the art on Mary Jane is. Carlos Gomez.
0: Oh, and it's great art, too. It's going to be a good book.
3: I'm very excited. Uh, I haven't read it yet uh, because we are recording this beforehand, (laughs) but obviously near the top of my pull list. And many of y'all will love the Humberto Ramos uh, cover on that one. Uh, It's just neat to have her having her own miniseries. Hopefully, if this does well, there is more coming where that came from.
0: Are you reading Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man?
3: I have not been caught up.
0: Okay. There's an issue like two issues ago. Mm -hmm. That's Mary Jane. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it's basically... It's – you know the all the War of the Realms stuff? Yeah. So War of the Realms, as it's wrapping up, there's all the troll stuff. Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man has been out fighting trolls all night. So like he – Mary Jane tucks Peter in and she's like, I'm going to take care of things for a day. And it's Mary Jane fighting trolls. So it's this Tom Taylor written Mary Jane issue where <sighs> she's just taking care of business. And then this like was in the next preview. So I was like, oh, it's time. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's overdue. We're ready. I'm hype. What's our number two?
3: Uh, Count Crowley, reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter number one. I feel like we know this writer. Uh, so this is partly a friend of the show pick, but partly also just a cool looking book pick. David Desmalchin. You know him from Ant-Man. You know him as a past guest of the show. Uh, you know him from a whole lot of stuff, including being a writer-director. Uh, but he is adding comic books to his accomplishments. And he has teamed up with artist Lucas Kettner, who I uh, had to remind myself, but he did a book called Witch Doctor years ago that I love. Uh, that was very gross and spooky and cool. Uh, and they have teamed up for a miniseries called Count Crowley Reluctant Midnight, Hun- Re- Reluctant Midnight Monster Hunter, which is about a uh, host of a creature features kind of program who is going to get involved in all kinds of supernatural shenanigans. Uh, so, again, I, we haven't read this one yet, but it seemed like a fa- uh very safe pick. It looks lovely. The art is going to be great. David is very cool and very thoughtful and a big nerd uh, in a good way, again. Uh, and it's coming from Dark Horse Comics this Wednesday. And
0: there's actually an interview with me and David from uh, from San Diego. So we talk about C- Count Crowley back in July. And Excellent. we we got like a sneak peek at it. He, he had the he had a couple pages. Uh, and if there's ever anyone that deserves To be so sweaty, he get a comic book. It's David Dmalchian. He is in so many superhero properties, and I was it's it. Why not make a comic? And it's so cool to see him get to self actualize as a full blown sweaty because now he's writing comics. Uh, Now the next one is Batman: Curse of the White Knight, number four. I love this Elseworld. It is Sean Murphy. He is writing and drawing. I love his take on Joker. I love his take on Batman. I love his take on Harley. I love his Gotham. It's like steampunk adjacent. It's like noir-ish. It feels like I'm reading some sort of Sherlock Holmesian book. book. Um, it's so hard to pin down. It's just so many tones I really enjoy. The art is beautiful. Have you read White Knight?
3: Uh, he's got an incredible style. I've been saving it up because uh, I'm a... Big Sean Murphy fan from his past projects, but I haven't sat down with White Knight yet.
0: Okay, um, but
3: Punk Rock Jesus, Joe the Barbarian, uh, Off-Roads, a lot of his other stuff. Uh, he's just an incredible artist.
0: He's also like a sweetie on Twitter, which I, it shouldn't change my opinion on comics. But when I find out you're like dope and cool, I definitely like be cool. Nice. Like I, I followed him. I, I'm weird, but you know how weird I am about Twitter. Uh, I followed him on Twitter recently and I was like, oh, and he's a sweetheart. So uh, full support. Thank you, Sean Murphy, for being a good person and a great writer and artist. What do we got next?
3: We got Naomi season one. This is, uh, I put it on the list, but it's a Koi and me pick together. <laughs> you've heard, you've, you've seen the show. We love this book. Uh, it is finally available in a collected edition. Uh, it is from the Wonder Comics imprint at D.C. Uh, Bendis, David Walker, and Jamal Campbell? Campbell. Yep. There we go. Uh, worked on this book together. It is incredibly beautiful. The art is just stunning. Uh, she is a just intriguing from the moment you meet her. Very promising new hero for the D.C. universe. Very cool mythology behind her that will get revealed as you read, uh, they're calling it season one because they're taking a break before they do more. Uh, She's
0: I, in Superman right now, though, worth
3: noting. She is. Read Action Comics to see what she is up to. And then we just found out maybe you want watch, to uh, watch out for Young Justice in a couple of issues because somebody might be showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's great and you should get it. And now you can in a hardcover.
0: And it's, uh, it's a great hardcover to have as a casual comic goer because it's a whole story that leads to mystery. and you, Yeah, and you, you get super don't need
3: to know anything. If yeah. you do know stuff, it'll be fun because it'll be like, oh, that piece of DC mythology I forgot about. Um, but you really don't need to know anything. Just just read it.
0: And I would say that uh, the artist is one of the best breakout artists I've seen in a long time. The book is stupid
3: pretty. 100%. Coy, Google Far Sector because I need you to see this preview. Ooh, okay. Um, this is, we were talking about it on the regular show this week. It is an upcoming might be I don't know what label they're putting on this one maybe young animal uh, but uh, it is N.K. Jemison and Jamal Campbell doing a new Green Lantern character hehehe <laughs> just made an amazing face uh it is called far sector she is the green lantern of an area that hasn't had a crime in hundreds of years and she has to solve like the first murder in hundreds of years in this area uh it is a new character i am very excited about it and k jemisin is a science fiction author uh and fantasy i think uh who is brilliant jamal campbell is as Corey just said one of the most exciting artists to discover of the last several years uh, so, while I also want more Naomi, if this is what he's busy on, I will live with it, uh, just get back to doing more Naomi eventually. Just clone yourself.
0: Just, you know, do more. Come on. <laughs> just make beautiful art quickly. Uh, what do you think? It is, it is, that is gorgeous. Oh my god, I'm so, and like, I love Green Lantern, so anytime I can get a new Green Lantern book, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say... Uh, Jamal Campbell and David Marquez on Batman Superman mm-hmm. are two, cause David Marquez was on Brian Bendis' Defenders book mm-hmm. right before, and both of them I was like, you can do this in comics? Like they're yeah. photorealistic while still comic y. They both have this really cinematic style. I, both of them are just blowing me away. Uh, and Batman vs. Superman didn't make the cut this week, but issue three is out on rare Edition. It's on, it's like, it's like the hidden number six. <laughs>
3: So what's number five, Corey? Now,
0: number five's a weird one, guys. Spider-Man Full Circle. The Amazing Spider-Man Full Circle is an anthology book, but it's written in a weird way. It is written, apparently, this is what I'm gathered on the internet, as like a hot potato.
3: <laughs> writers
0: wrote a section and then handed it off for another writer to keep writing it. So it's a book that didn't have an ending when it started. And writers are just writing the other guy into a corner. And the writers in this are no joke. Nick Spencer, Jonathan Hickman, uh, Chip Zdarsky—there's there's, there's a, a just a ton of writers. What is this book?
3: It is going to be very interesting. There's something similar that DC did a little while ago called Commandy Challenge, which was like a because uh, I think DC Challenge was a, a, a much older book that it was harkening back to. Uh, this m- makes me laugh because essentially, like my friends and I used to play a slumber party game where you had to write <laughs> random stories one sentence at a time, um, and in that case, it was like you weren't allowed to do the ones before that. There's a long literary tradition of games like this. There's a weird, uh, very creepy-sounding name called Exquisite Corpse um, mm. for a kind of pass-around story. Uh, the results are usually bonkers, but often a lot of fun, and with some of the t- Teams involved in this: uh, Chris Batchelor, Chris Brouss, two incredible all-star artists. Uh, many more people involved. Let's see. Yeah, the cover that. there. You got Jonathan that? Hickman, Chris Batchelor, Jerry Duggan, Greg Swa- Smallwood, Nick Spencer, Mike Allred, Kelly Thompson, Valerio Skiety. I'm sorry, Valerio. I'm not sure how to say your name. Al Ewing, Chris Brouss, Chip Zdarsky, Rachel Stott, Jason Aaron, Cameron Stewart, and Mark Bagley. That what? is a
2: murderer's
0: row of yeah. Spider-Man talent.
3: Uh, so we'll see if they can land it, but either way, it'll be super fun.
0: No matter what, it's a great way to do a weird story because it'll not come out normal. And I am excited <laughs> to see all those people on a book. Uh, and I think Chip Sadarsky talked about it in his newsletter. And also, if you're not following Chip Sadarsky's newsletter, what are you even doing? <laughs> what are you even doing? Uh, our last story of the week, because we already touched on the Jared Leto true life crazy clownness, um, is James Gund has responded to – Francis Ford Coppola calling Marvel movies despicable and then today another uh another comic uh I mean another creator came out and said that Marvel movies are like hamburgers uh that they're just like you know fast food sustenance I would like to officially say that there is nothing more clickbaity than asking a out of generation film creator, what their opinion is on something that is inherently probably not their style. And I think this is the last time I personally will speak on it because all we're doing is encouraging. If you're sitting down to talk to Martin Scorsese and you want to spend three minutes talking about Marvel movies, you've done a bad job as a journalist because you're talking to Martin Scorsese. Stop asking Marty Scorsese what he thinks of Marvel movies to get clicks. It's despicable. That's what's despicable. He doesn't like it. Stop asking. Um, Everyone's entitled to their opinion. I don't agree with how Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, and whoever the one today is are handling it because they're insulting a lot of creators and a lot of livelihoods and a lot of people that love this stuff. These movies do cause emotion. They do feature brilliant storylines amongst people in extreme situations just like their movies, and they are cinema They play at the cinema. Um, I keep trying to not touch this on Twitter, but I keep getting tweets about it. So I keep responding and then I keep having to explain myself. So I'm going to use this platform as saying I disagree with them. I have the right to disagree with them. They have the right to disagree with me. I don't agree with how they're saying it or what they're saying. But as a journalist slash commentator slash host, it also looks bad that we're using the platform to ask these people Again and again that they don't like something that they don't like. And all I it mean, is is marketing. It's just marketing. casey has got a movie coming out. So I'm not like, that
3: mad at the journalists either. Like this is all s- sort of – these don't feel like super necessary conversations. Uh, but like asking someone who is a, a classic filmmaker what they think of a wave of films, they are free to be – to not answer that question and to spend their time on something else. Uh, no one is making anyone call anything despicable, uh, but again, they are entitled to their opinions. It's just, I don't know, y'all. Uh, those filmmakers <laughs> have not super expressed themselves real respectfully on this one, but they also get to think whatever they want. And I'm I'm kind of not super mad at anybody. <laughs> I've, I'm ready to be done with this cycle of talking about it, but I I get that, like... If you're sitting down and Coppola says something like that, you're probably going to tell people that he said that.
0: James Gunn said it better than I could have, much like James Gunn does because he's a brilliant writer. And he said, and I quote – Many of our grandfathers thought all gangster movies were the same, often calling them despicable. Some of our great-grandfathers thought the same of westerns and believed the films of John Ford, Sam Peckinpah, and Sergio Leone were all exactly the same. I remember a great-uncle to whom I was raving about Star Wars. He responded by saying, I saw that when it was called 2001, and boy, was it boring. Superheroes are simply today's gangsters, cowboys, outer space adventures. Some superhero films are awful. Some are beautiful, like westerns and gangster movies, and before that, just movies. Not everyone would be able to appreciate them, even some geniuses. And that's okay, Hart. James Gunn, I agree. I'm leaving it with James Gunn because I'm sick of talking about it. I, uh, I, I, as as per usual, why I like working with Amy is because we do have different takes on it. I'm mad at the journalists, and I'm gonna stay mad at them. But uh, I think that it is time to let this weird season of harassing old people go. Um, and now, quickly onto some Twitter questions right. from you beautiful non-haters of the Marvel and DC universes.
3: Uh, from Twitter, at Adelia Chambo asks Hey, there's Jamie Cojandra. Can you recommend a comic to start my just turning 10 year old nephew on? He's starting to get into superheroes in the MCU movies, and I just don't know where to start. Hashtag Glider th- Heroes, th- hashtag Giant Size Heroes. Swamp Kid! The swamp Thing is awesome. Please uh, give it to your kids. Swamp Kid's great. Uh, if he's looking for something specifically that is uh, Marvel friendly, find out what character he is into. Um, there are currently some books running being published by idw but with the title marvel action there's a black panther one a spider-man one an avengers one and a captain marvel one and they are all kid friendly Um, and those are great first picks uh but there's again uh following the character give the kid bone i know it's not superheroes but it will hook them on comics uh and then just like track from from character there there's a bunch of depending on your kid uh, getting them into Moon Girl and Squirrel Girl uh, and a bunch of the other Ollie just friendly Marvel titles, if they're a Marvel kid specifically, is probably going to go over nicely. Um, some combo of those. Corey?
0: Uh I would say the Oh, Spider-Man. Uh, any of the Spider-Mans based off cartoons are fairly safe. Ten-year-olds uh, can dive into those. And Spider-Man is so accessible and it's a good character to grow into. Yeah. I'm so glad I started with Spider-Man because he's just like – He's all of us, and it's a really cool character. And then he's got Miles, and he's got Spider Gwen, and there's so many characters that he should know. Uh, so I think that there was a-,
3: a book called Spidey. Yeah, by Spidey Thompson, so a couple years ago, uh, that is kid friendly and uh, great. That would be a fun one as well.
0: Yeah, I would say Spidey, uh, and yeah, and everything you just said, and Swamp Kid. What is our next one?
3: I, do I get
0: to read this one or do you want to read this one? I mean, it's pretty good. Okay, I'll take it. Okay, <laughs> so from David Detweiler, thank you, David, at DCW Detweiler says, for the price of $550 or 190 baked potatoes heroes. <laughs> you can own the Infinity Saga Collector's Edition. What do you all think? $1. I thank you, sir, for that man. I love that you put A- this on here. Hundred and ninety potatoes had to be included on today's giant size. That's amazing. Hey, I what think... kind
3: of potato is Watchmen?
0: Oh no. The show or the movie or the comic? The show. Okay. The show is
3: What's like a really experimental potato dish that should not work, but then you think maybe it does? That's
0: what I'm trying to think. I don't Uh, know anything about cooking, which is why
3: I can't help with this.
0: I think that it is a scalloped potato with a glaze that is both savory and a little sweet, and it has many different vegetables in its medley. So it's like a scalloped potato dish that has like asparagus and Brussels sprouts and like a semi-sweet glaze that shouldn't work. But as you're eating it, you're both being nourished experimenting and appreciating it.
3: Wait, Koi, isn't there something called a twice-baked potato? That's not that. Okay, but like, it's a Watchmen TV show that's a nominal sequel. It's a remix.
0: It's a a remix. It's baked again. A twice-baked potato. It's a twice. You know, I meant to say that for Joker because someone asked me what potato <laughs> it was. I thought Joker was a great twice baked potato because it's <laughs> using source material in a new way, and it's got a like a it's got a um a very Oscar friendly decorum. Like a baked potato's got that like aristocracy. So I think Joker is a did twice. Did you
3: just say a baked potato has an air of aristocracy? I, I did.
0: I, I, and I stand by it. Okay. If if I was watching Downton Abbey and they ate a baked potato, I'd be like, well, yeah,
3: really. That's the I potato. Feel like baked potatoes are super budget friendly, which makes them inherently non-aristocratic.
0: Ooh. Okay. No, that's that's also. But I mean, also
3: kind of doesn't make it HBO. So you're probably right about the scallop thing.
0: I think scalloped is is the aristocracy. I think <laughs> I think scalloped potatoes are like the <laughs> like like the character that that like he, uh, we have Jeremy Irons playing mm-hmm. would eat scalloped potato.
3: Uh, Perhaps that with was the, a very gentle the character that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Watch Watchmen, y'all. What, I, Who I, watches it? You do.
0: Delicately handled. Uh <laughs> so thank you, one hundred and ninety uh baked potatoes. Uh I do believe that it will be worth it. And it will all, it will definitely be on sale. No one's gonna pay five fifty. Uh it will probably be like four fifty, which is still a car payment for a very nice Porsche or some <laughs> sort of nice car. I don't pay four fifty a month on my car. I bought my car.
3: I have a used car from 2010.
0: Yeah, no, I bought my 2008 Mini Cooper for much less than 450 a month. Don't think the internet pays money, guys. <laughs> I just realized I was like, that's a car payment for someone else but me. Uh, so yeah, that is that is going to be a hell of a thing. I'm very excited for it, um, but it is 190 baked potatoes, which is why I can't afford it. Uh, Marvel, if I am as big a shield as, as a lot of people want me to be, I will accept your infinity saga with open arms. <laughs> or a car. Or a car. You know. You guys have a lot of Audis in your movies. They're great cars. I'll take an Audi <laughs> or this. Uh, now, this last one is our sweaty question of the week, which we will get to next week because it is long and involves all the movies of the year. Someone wants us to rank the 2019 movies.
1: Oh, no. So I'm going to make
0: sure Amy and I have time to do it, which we do not right now. Until next week, guys. Stay sweaty. Stay
3: sweaty.
2: sweaty. Napa no How.